Oh, hi. I'm Abe. Oh, hi. I'm Sarah. And we are Dead, Dead My, my Dearest. Dearest. Dun, dun, dun. Whoa. Whoa. Still really close. Still really close. We're we're getting a second mic for me, though. I can't wait. So it's very exciting. So we're not smooching over the microphone. I mean, I don't mind that so much. That's true. Do you know what we're doing today? Uh, yes, because you wouldn't stop talking about I it. Got, I just even, so excited. Even at night when we were about to fall asleep, you would turn to me and go, BBs, BBs, we're talking about Diet Love Pass. Diet Love Diet Love Pass. I kept it's a here. lot of things like to tell you today. I know, and the crazy part is you've been talking about this for weeks at this point. Yeah, I've, wanted... I really tried to hold off because this is this is popular for reasons that we'll talk about. Yep. Uh, but it's popular right now. It's kind of seeing a resurgence. And um, yeah, I just, I couldn't wait anymore because it's too interesting. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So please... Please inform our viewers or listeners. We don't have viewers. I've, <laughs> you do that every time. I'm so I used it. to doing this on Twitch. Yeah, it's okay. And they can't see me here. No, just me. Just well, they can't see you either. Oh, I oh. get to see you. <laughs> I love you. You're a pretty girl. I'm a pretty girl. <laughs> I love you so much. Why don't you tell us about dialogue? Pass? All right. He is the basics. Are we ready? Been prepared. Been prepared. All right. So a group of nine hikers and friends, most of whom were students at the Ural Polytechnic Institute, they went on a skiing and hiking expedition. That sounds like a great time. It should have been. <laughs> uh, they were all, just to clarify, they were all grade two hikers, and this expedition would have elevated them to grade three. Now that's... That's the highest level you could have gotten at this time. That's what I was just about to ask. Yeah. Um, so grade two, like, you know, they're going through mountains. They're going like long distance in crappy weather. Like they, they are no slouches. You had to do a lot of work to get this. Um, and this is back in 1959 and takes place in what is now Russia, but was then still Russia, but the USSR. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to trek to the nor northern Ural Mountains and they wanted to reach this specific mountain in the Urals called uh, Ora or Torten. How many words are in today's episode? They're so that... difficult. <laughs> There's, ugh, I'm going to like pause and I might mess it up. Early apologies. I can't fluently speak Russian and this is difficult. Yeah, that's fair. I mean... It's kind of funny how many times we've discussed topics now that have really difficult to pronounce yeah, words. Yeah, it's me in the background just trying to be like, how do I, okay. I I was lucky enough to uh, hear a woman speaking these names out loud, so I shouldn't butcher them too badly. And she was a native Russian speaker, She was right? uh, English uh, and Russian. Oh, well, English. She okay. lived in, in Russia for a time, so oh, wow. she could... To me, it sounded great. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so they wanted to reach, reach this mountain. And the last part of this trek was considered category three uh, in difficulty, which is considered the highest level of difficulty and danger when you're hiking. So, so they started off late January, had to like, you know, take some trains, take some uh, trucks stuff like that, to actually do this trek. Um, by the night of February 1st, leading into February 2nd, something terrible and mysterious happened, and the hikers lost their lives. Holy crap. Yes. Ooh, spooky. So, it is. It's it's super spooky. This is very spoops. Um, I did what I usually do. I got really excited, and so this will be a two-parter. You got really into this. I got one. really, I really was pumped. Fam, let's put this in perspective. What she's been doing is, first of all, hardcore research for like days straight. This is true. Second of all, at night she tells me about Diet Loft Pass. And only then, little only bits. Only little bits. But then she scares herself so bad <laughs> that we have to leave the light on in the bedroom this while is, we sleep. Yeah. Sometimes it's Japanese urban legends. 
Yes. Sometimes, you know, it's it's creepy psychological disorders. Yeah. Sometimes it's mercury poisoning. And sometimes it's dial off pass. Sometimes it's dial off pass, you know. Welcome to our podcast, everyone. Welcome. If you haven't been here before. It's basically me talking about stuff that spooks me out. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And then I have to deal with the light on at night. I'm sorry. It's fine. You're not sorry. <laughs> I'm not. It's a lot. I'm not sorry. <laughs> you love me so, anyway. So they all lost their lives. They did. And that's very sad. It is. Yeah. But what happened? Oh, we're going to get into it. Oh. All right. So I wanted to talk about, because of the mystery of this, people focus on that and they focus on how the bodies were found, which was pretty gruesome. And I will talk about that later on um but i do want to take begin this this journey by talking about the hikers themselves and who they were as people because ultimately like that's who we want to remember they were really like lovely young people who wanted to do who were just starting out in their lives um who wanted to do like right by their their country and countrymen Uh, so we're gonna chat about them for a minute so the leader of the expedition was Igor Dyatlov. He was 23 years old. He was a student at the Ural Polytechnic Institute studying uh, radio engineering. He was an extremely gifted young man, particularly in uh, engineering and mechanics. Uh, He made a radio, like made one himself, to bring on hikes as early as 1951, right? So he was young making this. He created a telescope to watch uh, Sputnik, which is pretty wild. Like, he was really brilliant. That's really epic. Yeah. yeah right he was there. a very cool dude. And he was super passionate about hiking and, and sports and things like that. Now, is the pass actually named after him? Or Yes. The pass was named after him in 1963. I see. Okay. In, like, a remembrance of, yeah. of what happened with the expedition. Yep. Exactly. I understand that. Yeah. So, then we have Ludmila who liked to be called uh, Ludia uh, Dubanina. She was one of two ladies on this expedition. She was 20 and the youngest member of the group. She was an engineering and economics major, so double major at this institute. She loved sports. Uh, She was a fervent communist. Again, this is USSR back in the 50s. So let's like take that in context of what it was. was. She was very political as, you know. Right, and a nationalist, you know. She was very, very proud of her country. She wanted to do right by her country and help people. Um, She was super passionate and she always spoke her mind. She was like kind of like a little firebrand. Yeah, that makes sense. Even at 20, she was, you know. That's like the perfect age for it. This, right? Okay, so this is how much of a badass. Both of the women were super badass. She, um, so they used to take hikes all the time, all of this group, right? One time she was hiking in 1957, and she accidentally gets shot in the leg by a hunter. Right? She's out in the mountains. What? He, there was what? a hunter with them to provide like food. Right. And somehow he accidentally shot her. Holy. I I don't know the... Holy crap. I know. Crazy, right? That's nuts. Or bananas, right. I should say. Banana. Yeah, no, bananas. not crazy. Bananas. She made it all the way back. Like, they're out in no man's land, and she just walks back with a bullet in her leg. That's... <laughs> and then kept hiking, like, later on after she recovered. And that doesn't give you level three right there? Like, it should have. It should... You seriously? So, at this point, she was, like, 18 when that happened. Can we just make her level four now? We, we just say? Just say there's a whole new level. Yeah. Level. Then we have uh, Yuri Doroshenko, and several of these young men are named or nicknamed Yuri. So for clarification, I'm going to be using their last names. That's easiest. So Yuri was 21. He was a student in radio engineering. Uh, He was said to be very impulsive, but also very brave. Uh, He once chased, he's kind of known for this incident. He once chased away a brown bear from like a group of camping students with a small like geological hammer just went after it there was um the other lady who was in this group her name was uh zaneda kolmogorova he the bear was like near her and yuri went after it scares it away and she fell in love with him because of that so they did date for a time uh they sadly broke up after like a year or so but they remained friends, obviously, because they're going 
on this thing together. Right, exactly. They're still together on this journey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, as friends, as friends. So we move on to Zeneda, who liked to be called Zena, Kolma Gorova. Uh, she was 22. She was the other uh, lady on this trip. She was a student of radio engineering as well. Uh, she was just said to be an absolute love of a girl. She was very outgoing, very popular. But despite her popularity, she was like sincere and kind. She wasn't like a kind of flake popular girl. Children adored her. Uh, she also was a super badass. One time while hiking, she got bitten by a viper. What? Yep. Oh. Okay, so one of the ladies on this expedition has already been shot by a hunter. Yeah. And not during back. the expedition, but previously. Previously, yeah. yeah. And now during another expedition, this other lady gets bit by a viper. And let me guess, she's a badass enough to just go back and be like, oh, oh, it's cool. She not only just walks back and is like, all right, well, this stinks, but whatever. She wouldn't let other people carry her pack. Because this isn't like a day trek no. for a picnic. Like, no. they're out there for Those days. Those packs are heavy. Yeah, they're super heavy. And she wouldn't let anybody lighten her load. <laughs> She's got a viper bite in the leg. Okay. Just, oh, so awesome. Wow. Um, I do want to quickly point out there is a wealth of primary sources you can find online. If you go to dietlovepass.com. I don't know the person who maintains this. I, I'm i guessing it's the Dyatlov Foundation, and we'll talk about them later on. Um, but you can see all kinds of uh, pictures, uh, autopsy reports, journals that the people kept and they recovered, uh, photographs that the hikers kept, like just everything. And I got a lot of my material from there as well as documentaries that I listened to. Um also, early content warning, this gets pretty gruesome, and I will be posting some gruesome pictures up on the website, but we do have a little, like, hey, before it gets grody, here's a little, like, w warning. <laughs> she had me make it. Yeah, and it looks great. I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. Um, so I did want to just, uh, I, I mentioned dietlovepass.com because I was reading some of their letters there. So on January 24th, when they're just kind of setting out uh, she writes a letter to uh, her friend, Valentina Tolareva, um, and she sends it from the city of Cerro, Serov, which is the last like city town kind of they were in. No, last city, not the town. So she writes, my dear, my dear Valia, we, here we are on our way to the mountains. You want to hear a surprise? Yuri Doroshenko is coming with us. I really don't know how I'll feel because they had recently broken up. I'm treating him just like everyone else, but it's really hard because we are together and yet we are not together. So she goes on and then towards the end, she says, live, rejoice in good. What if there is sadness sometimes? After all, one must live. True? We need to see only the good in life and then it will be more fun to live. I give you my word that everything will be all right. Everything was not It was all not. Right. And that's so sad. That's one of the last, I think that's the last letter she sent. Oof. I know. It's, ah, when you, when you, that's why I wanted to establish like really who they are as people because that makes it so much worse. So we move on to uh, Rustem. He likes to go by Rustic Slobodin. He was 23. And he had graduated from the Institute the year before. He's descri described as being courageous, dependable, and stoic. He was a man of few words, but lots of actions kind of guy. He played the mandolin, and he would take it on hiking trips to entertain the groups. So there's actually, he, he took the mandolin. They The other hikers write about, like, what a great, like, player he was, and he kept up their spirits. Um... He, one of his journals was recovered from the site and he had scribbled in it popular songs that the hikers sang, uh, like as they were trekking through the woods, as well as Mansi words. And Mansi is the local tribe of indigenous people. So ways to communicate with the Mansi, which is kind of cool. That's really cool. Like yeah. while you're out, just in case you see someone, you can at least 
saying something. Yeah, and a, a few of the students had, I think about half of them had journals and several of them had like a, a number of words to communicate with the Mansi, which is kind of neat. We have Nikolai. He liked to go by Thibaut. Uh, Thibaut Brignol. So he has a very fancy name. He was 23. He had graduated the year before with a degree in civil engineering. Uh, he was a very popular member of the sports club, and many of them found each other through the sports club and hiking clubs. And people remember him uh, for his friendliness, humor, and his ingenuity. Flip the page. Do it up. All right. Then we have Grigory. Krevonishenko. Krevonishenko. There's the word. Yeah, it took me a second. <laughs> he also liked to go by uh, Yuri. He was 23. He graduated two years before in 1957. And he actually was very, very good friends with uh, Igor Dyatlov. And he went on pretty much every expedition that Dyatlov led. Because this wasn't their first by far. And he was really close with most of the hikers. So, oh, God, this guy. In 1957, he got hired right out of school, and he was working for a secret nuclear facility. Whoa. Yeah, right? <laughs> so he's working for this nuclear facility, and there is immediately a disaster. Is it Chernobyl? No, no, no. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, not, <laughs> as, not as severe as that. Yeah. It's called the Christium Disaster. What happened is plutonium leaked from one of its containers, and he was actually one of the people that had to go in and clean it up. Oh, right? no. He was okay after this. He didn't get severe radiation sickness. Um, you know, time would have told he probably would have had issues, but he didn't sadly live long enough. Right. And there is an issue. I do want people to remember this because strange radiation comes up later. Okay. I know. It gets real weird. Okay. It's a real weird path we're going to take. So, um, Yuri also played the mandolin and he sang. He was the joker of the group. Um, they arrived in the second to last town. So this is the last city they're in, uh, Serov. And he wanted to buy breakfast in a cafe rather than just eat like the rations they had. Uh, but Dubanina, she was the treasurer for the group and she said, no, it's too expensive. So what he did is he started singing and panhandling for money, which was like not a thing you did at all in the 1950s in the USSR. This is like, you don't do that. Right. This is like, I mean, it's communist still. Yeah, like, yeah. this is not a thing. So he's doing it. He's just like, you know, laughing it up, singing for everybody. And the police came and arrested him. Oh, and he didn't stop when the police came. Like he was still singing and like trying to get money from them, I guess. This guy, this is clearly, we found the joker of the group. Yeah, Yeah. and obviously, like, they let him go because he wasn't, you know, they had a good sense of humor about it, I guess, which was lucky. Yeah. So we have uh, Alexander Kolevatov, Kolevatov, who is 24. He was a physics major at the university. Um, This one's weird and strange, too. He well, was, this one was funny. Yeah. Why is this some weird? of them are strange. Okay. He's the only boy in his family. His father gets killed mysteriously during World War II because of his father's beliefs. And then his family is like super duper duper poor. They're barely scraping by. What's his father's beliefs? Uh, I think he was anti-communist. Oh, well, that's not good. Yeah. In the US I, I didn't get into it too, too much. Yeah. Right. But yeah, he, he was kind of... It sounded like he was a guy who was trying to, like, kind of stick up for people and and do the right thing, and authorities didn't like that so much. Yeah, fair. This is that time. But don't quote me on that. I didn't investigate the father. Gotcha, gotcha. And he, in school, he was able to go to school. He got, like, average grades. And then, mysteriously, some secret person became his patron. They got him into a secret institute and helped him, like, get through school. And get a really good job. What? I know. Okay. Weird. Yeah. And and no one knows to this day who that man was. I don't was. think so. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man or woman. But someone, you know. it, it could have been, you know, like maybe someone just did it 
at, to be a philanthropist yeah, exactly. and wanted to help like this struggling person. But I, I don't know. It was pretty weird. Wow. Yeah. You could probably find more information on dialovepass.com. Uh, His birthday was on January 30th, one of the days they were on the hike. And as a birthday present, his um, hiking group gave him a tangerine, which was really cool. Oh, Yeah. He had just turned 24 when he passed. Wow. Like um, two two days later. None of these people are old. I mean, so far. No. They're, they're, we're talking 20 to 24. The next one is, is older. He's the oldest um, member okay. of the group. Yep. So the next one, uh, Simon, who liked to go by Alexander or Sasha, uh, Volotaryov. Volotaryov. He's 38. Wow. That, that, that's a jump there. Yeah. He's the oldest member of the expedition, and he actually died on his 38th birthday. Okay, that's creepy. That sucks. So this, it gets worse, too. He was in the entirety of World War II. From what? very start to very finish. And he made it through? He made it all the way through. And that's like... That, that's like my characters where they they make it through all the battles and then do something stupid like open a door and die. Yeah, like, yeah, right? <laughs> um, not only that, but he was given four military awards for his service. For what? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh. I, it didn't say. Oh, my goodness. But this man's a medal like holder from war, which scars mm-hmm. you and breaks you. And yeah. And, there wow. is some debate and we'll talk about this a, a we'll touch on it um because it kind of gets off topic but there is some thought that he might have worked as a spy because uh later on they actually exhumed his body trying to figure out what was happening in all these strange deaths that we'll talk about and the first dna test said it wasn't the he didn't have the family markers, so it was somebody else in this grave. But the second DNA test carried out by different, like an institute rather than kind of like a, the first people who did it were a tabloid magazine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And cool. again, I'll talk about it more. Ma- Mari's lie detector over yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The second test said, yeah, he did match his family's DNA. So, you know, there's a lot of conspiracies, conspiracy theories around a ton of this to my knowledge as far as we know he was a a not spy but a person who was in world war ii he loved to hike he was friends with these people and that's why he went on the expedition but he could have been a spy he also had really cool tattoos which was pretty rare oh that's cool yeah like a bunch Ooh, yeah and you can get like pictures and descriptions of them Dope. online i like how dietloftpass.com is dietloftpass.com really everything has a .com these days it's it's so interesting too because they have all of these original materials, right? And everything that's been declassified, they pretty much have on there. There are still things that are classified, not declassified though. They're classified by the Kremlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, crazy, right? Wow. Because we've even switched spy agencies at this point. Like mm-hmm. we have don't. Yeah. That's another. Because when the USSR collapsed, like people knew, like. The government did shady shit. Right. Right. Everyone knows that. And a lot of the times they just were like, Russia was like, okay, here's the shady shit. At least, you know, years later that happened and they declassified stuff. But this is still partly classified. Wow. Which is weird. That is very odd. A lot of weirdness. Yeah. But for those of you who don't know, we went from the KGB, who would have been the spy agency at the time of World War II and all that stuff, to the current day, we have the GRU. So, oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, the, the spy agency changed and the KGB got retired. So, cool. Uh, there is a sole survivor. His name is Yuri Yudin. Wait, wait, we have a survivor here? Well, he left before February 1st. Oh, yeah. okay. So, um, he left uh, on the 27th, January 27th. So at the time, he was 21. He left the expedition early on due to poor health. Uh, He was especially, like, he was a very sweet person, and he lived a long time after this. He was very close, especially with the women. He was, like, the nice guy. Um, And 
Luda gave him this little fuzzy teddy bear when he left. And both women wrote like, oh, what do we do now? Like, he's leaving. We're really sad. That's that's heartbreaking. He kept this teddy bear his whole life. Of course he did. And he never married and he never had his own family. That's really sad. And he, he, you know, is in a lot of interviews and he lived to be 75. Wow. And he had incredible survivor guilt his whole life. Of course. You know, I I, I don't get it, but what else can you do? Like you, Oh, it's so sad. And he was such a good man. Yeah. He died in April of uh, 2013 and his ashes were actually placed. Seven of the hikers were buried in the same cemetery and they placed his ashes with theirs. Wow. Yeah. That's... That's going to me to cheer up a little bit. I know. I'm trying to make I jokes know. here. I'm trying to make we fun. We can't. Not on this, this one. This one. This is hard. <laughs> he was uh, noted as being incredibly sincere, respected, and infinitely kind. Which makes me... I'm, I'm just like, oh, bubba. So we have a set of hikers here mm-hmm. who are not only extremely smart and extremely university trained. And just passionate about life. They're either yeah. just finished school generally. You're right. Uh, or they're already like working at like secret nuclear facilities. Right. Right. Or have been in World War II. Right. They've, they've all experienced hardship that they have gotten through. Mm-hmm. They are clearly tough people who are yeah. ready for this challenge. Oh, yeah. And then they don't come back. It gets so weird. Yeah. It gets so weird. So... Let's talk about the route that they took. Well, we're going to talk about the route that they took after the break. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue Diet Love Pass after this. Hey, we're back. I needed a drink. That's fair. And also it was 30 minutes. So that's... I, that's uh, crazy. That was just one page. That, oh my goodness. Of eight. That's why this is a two-parter. Two, two-part Diet Love Pass. I got real excited. Series we got going on yeah, here. it's real good. So, okay. So we're going to talk about the path that they took. Yes. Dive in. Okay. So the route that they took. Gotcha. On January 25th, 1959... The group arrived via train to this small town called Ivdel. Now, if you think of Russia now, it is in the northeast portion of Russia, up by the Ural Mountains. So from there, they took a truck to Vizai. And this is the last settlement in that area. Okay. It used to be um, a lot of the places, because this is so remote used to be prisoner camps. This is just like a tiny, it was a prisoner camp, but now um, it was just like a tiny logging settlement or something little like that. So there's like very, very few people up in this area outside of small, small tribes of indigenous peoples. Thing to remember. They spent the night there. They were all laughing, singing, talking in really good spirits. They carved up, ate a bunch of bread, And then they set out the next morning, kind of got a late start because they slept in because this was going to be the last time they slept in a bed for a bit. That makes sense. I I would want to sleep in that bed for a while. Exactly. Um, So they started out the next morning on January 27th uh, from Vizai, hoping to make it to the mountain um, Gora Orten or or Torten. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> These think words. about or torta. This is not an easy episode it's for not. pronunciation. You're doing good here. Thanks, BB. So they start out that day. The next day, Yuri Yudin has to leave because of health issues. So there's a variety of reasons that have been cited. Everything from a sorny. That's our cat in the background. That is Como. <laughs> He's causing trouble in the background. He's in a box right now looking at all of our minis. My beloved son, please. Hello? Sir? Please. He's just causing trouble. Uh, to arthritis, anxiety, sciatica pain, a bunch of stuff. So uh, I couldn't narrow down what it actually was. So they're actually historians and, you know, conspiracy theorist people 
are actually able to track from the diaries and the photos recovered exactly like where they went. So we know the route they took over the next couple days. They started through the pass, which is now named Dyatlov Pass. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And they had the intention to move through the pass and sleep on the opposite side of the mountain on the way to this end end place. Um, but there was snow and bad visibility that slowed them down. The last day, they only made like 2.5 miles because it was so bad. And the group realized they were kind of off course into the west. And they were on a mountain called Holak Shackle. It's also a word right there. Yeah. This is the point that things start to get weird. They, the group of the nine hikers decided to make camp on the mountainside rather than just moving down the slope less than a mile to the forest line. Because at the forest line, they would have had cover from the really bad weather. Because it was, it was super cold. We're talking like anywhere between minus 11 Fahrenheit to minus 33 Fahrenheit. Holy. Really cool. This is, this is no joke. Like, yeah. this isn't just like a, I'm going glamping, walking down a trail in a right. forest. Right. This is serious expedition like but they, Everest. But they were very experienced there. hikers. Of like, course. This isn't anything they hadn't dealt with in the past. Right. But yeah, that is weird. It's I just would, a little strange. I would think that I... It, if it's me, I would go down to the trees. Right. And yeah. then you're also going to get um, wood for a fire really easily. Oh, yeah. That's right. You can get the branches and stuff. Yeah. So people were asked about this later on, and people asked Yuri Yudin, the, the survivor, and he guessed that maybe um, the hike leader, Dyatlov, didn't want to lose the altitude because it had been so onerous, like the trek had been so onerous to that point. And so they didn't want to push back because it was such a hard day of hiking. And... Maybe he wanted to um, practice mountainside camping. Okay, that makes more sense yeah. suddenly. Which, know. and that's a thing they had done before. Right, exactly. And I wouldn't, if you're up that high, you don't want to go back down just to go back up again later tomorrow because that's going to be a lot of work. Again. Right, Yeah. right. Um, but of course, we don't know for sure because it's not recorded anywhere in their diaries why they did this. So on that night, night of February 1st, moving into February 2nd, something happened and the nine hikers all died under very very mysterious circumstances so this happened really fast basically <sighs> yes and no it happened that night right that's what i'm saying it, they the autopsies showed that the people didn't all die at once some of them died more quickly than others uh we'll find out the last people to be found the last bodies to be found probably survived a bit longer um they all survived from six to eight hours after their last meal. Right. So what I guess what I'm saying is, this isn't like a story about some hikers getting lost and then one by one they die over no, days. No, no, no. This is a night of terror. It's a night of unknown terror. Wow. Yeah. So this happens. And we move on to the search. So Dyatlov had planned to send a telegram to the sports club at... Uh, Ural Polytechnic Institute once they had made the track and returned to Vizai because that's the first place he could send a telegram from. Um, They expected roughly that the telegram would come around February 12th, but Dyatlov said to Yudin earlier that given the conditions, because it's midwinter, the hike would probably take longer. And that wasn't an unknown thing, like you're hiking out in the mountains, sometimes you're back earlier, but usually you're back later. So when February 12th came and went, people weren't that concerned. But more than a week after, and still no telegram. So it was on February 20th that the families demanded a search and rescue party be sent out to try to find the hikers. So what happened is the head of the Ural Polytechnic Institute, were the, it wasn't the military, it was this institute, sent out groups of volunteer rescuers that were composed of students and teachers. Whoa, so this isn't the authorities doing this. Not at first, no. This is the hiking club, effectively. Yeah, it's the hiking club. Later, the military got involved and actually had a variety of aircrafts, aircrafts flying around, and they did involve um, the local Mansi tribe uh, who assisted as well. And... I'm going to talk about them more shortly because they're really important later on. 
So on February 26th, they found the abandoned tent in the first two bodies. So now we're going to talk about deaths. Content warning. It gets kind of gnarly. So uh, one of the students from the Institute, his name was Mikhail Sh Sharavin. He was the first one to find the tent on Holak Shackle, the mountain where they stayed. Now, just a quick note, they were only 10 miles away from their final destination. That's it. They were real close. That's super close. Yeah. Yeah. He noted that it was badly damaged and abandoned. Quote, this is a quote from him. The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty and all of the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. He looked inside the tent thinking, oh, maybe we'll find someone, probably a body. And he saw piles of boots, money, a map of their route, like all their stuff. He even found a plastic plate that had pork fat cut into strips and it was like still in the process of being cut up. So pork fat is like a high calorie uh, food that hikers will eat, especially in higher altitudes for all those like, you know, calories. It was in the midst of being cut up. He found it in the tent, right? He noted that the tent, and this was later confirmed, was cut open from the inside. So they were inside the tent and cut it open. The call is coming from inside the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and why are the boots here in a pile? Like, So yeah. I'll, I'll explain in a second. But whatever happened scared them so badly, they ran out without any shoes on. And they <sighs> cut the tent open to get out of it. Right, right. Right? So, they said all in the area, um, you could see footprints running away in different directions. Some of the hikers had been wearing a boot. There was like one person wearing one boot. Socks, or they were in bare feet. So, the bulk of the people just had socks or bare feet. Now, just a, a quick aside, why would they have bare feet? Why wouldn't they have socks on at least? That doesn't make any sense because experienced hikers would often sleep in their boots or at least a multitude of socks because it's up to minus 33 Fahrenheit. Yeah, the only reason I could think of is, is they may have taken them off like briefly to check, to check their frostbite. feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like you wouldn't leave it off that long because no. it's stupid cold up right. there. Right. So that was just that's a that's a strange thing to know. The tracks, they can follow the tracks for a fair bit. Now, this is ostensibly three weeks after whatever happened, and they can still see the tracks. The tracks uh, get covered in snow about 1,600 feet out. So there's a fair bit. They really went. Yeah. And some of them were leading down to the east towards a line of trees. So searchers follow these tracks. And they find the first two bodies. They find uh, Doroshenko and Korivnyshenko under a pine tree near the remnants of a fire. <sighs> More weirdness. They're only dressed in their underwear. What? That's it. That's crazy for a hiker. Again, why would you take off your clothes? So, yeah. There is a possible explanation for this. Like, they wouldn't have taken off all of their clothes in the tent. That's right. just not a thing they would have done. No. <laughs> a potential explanation is something called paradoxical, paradoxical undressing. So, in the last stage of hypothermia, freezing to death, you believe you're actually incredibly hot and you take off all your clothes to cool off. That's why it's called paradoxical. Right, because your mind kind of just goes, we. Well, they don't actually senses. know why. Oh, okay. Yeah. Scientists have two theories as to why this happens. They think the hypothalamus, the part of the brain that regulates body temperature, it might malfunction when the body is exposed to that level of cold and your body temperature gets that low. Or the blood vessels, basically when you're freezing, your limbs go numb first. That's partly due to the fact that you're body is trying to keep blood in your brain to keep it alive into your core right right yeah your heart your lungs your brain the right. vitals yeah so 
blood is funneled there in the final stages up until death, right? The brain is the most important. So all the blood vessels in your limbs have contracted. Finally, as you're about to die, the blood vessels get exhausted. They can't contract anymore and they release. So you have blood flow kind of rushing back into limbs and it probably makes you feel like you're really hot. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because you went from being, your limb temperature went from being super cold to all of a sudden getting all this heat back into it. Well, you're not getting heat, but you're getting blood. So your brain probably gets confused. It gets really confused. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little, probably a little bit of heat from being in the core, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, Could be. Could be. Um, So interesting to note, above these bodies in the tree that they're under, uh, some of the branches were broken off. So people like, did they climb up to look for their friends? Did they climb up to get wood? Stuff like that. But they actually found that there uh, were bits of skin on the bark of this tree. And these two men's hands were hurt from the climb up, which suggests that they were doing it like panicked. They were frantic as they were climbing up, just snapping branches, not looking where they were going. Right? Next, so they find those two. They're kind of huddled close by one's on his back one's on his front and i am going to post pictures of this it is gruesome because you can see their dead bodies you can see um the autopsy photos when people get thought out those are not we can't post those without express permission from the diet law foundation which i couldn't get immediately and also it's they're pretty gruesome so if you want to see them you can see them on the dietlovepass.com I'm not posting them. I am posting pictures of the bodies, but not them thought out. Not the official autopsy. Yeah, yeah, because it's rough. I mean, the ones I'm going to post are rough anyway, but it gets real worse. This whole thing has been rough so far. Oh, yeah. So next, um, the searchers find three more of the party in between this area, the tree, and the tent. So they're pretty sure that these guys were trying to go back to the tent for either to get shelter or more likely to get their gear, their food and their clothing. So they find Dyatlov 980 feet from the tent. Uh, Kalmogorova, the girl, uh, 15, 1,570 feet from the tent. And Slobodin, 2,070 feet from the tent. And they, were, they all died in the snow. Right. They're all... They were all away from trees and things like that. They're just yeah. They went basically from this this tree line, probably where their other two friends were found, and those two friends didn't have any clothes, so they probably succumbed pretty quickly. Right. And then these three, they had a little more clothes, but not a ton. Um, they died in, like almost in a line leading back up towards the tent, and they just were overcome with cold and exhaustion, and they died of hypothermia. So again, I just want to like. Something scared them so badly that they cut the tent open and run without any, like, most of them didn't have proper clothing. They were, it was like underclothes, sleeping kind of stuff. Not even shoes. But they don't die immediately from whatever this, this thing that caused immense panic. Like, it doesn't, they don't immediately die from whatever scared the shit out of them. Right, they're not like, they're not being chased or being killed by something they're just being scared and then they're going out and for some reason like i'm guessing right now for some reason maybe they don't want to go back to the tent i mean those two men from before made a fire right or trying to make a fire it's like they were trying to stay out there and be warm at least long enough to delay and then maybe get back to the tent or something like that and in fact they're in a panic they're trying to climb this tree for some weird reason yeah yeah and what is that reason? That we, we don't know, know. We literally don't know. Yeah. Like, again, they tried to make a fire. They tried to climb the tree. They actually, the last bodies to be found made, were making like a proper shelter. And it's not like what oh. people would do if they're stranded outside without a tent. Like an emergency right. shelter. Yeah. So they have enough time from whatever scared them out of the tent to do some of these things before they all eventually die. Okay. The last four hikers are not found until May 4th. That's over three months after whatever caused them to flee the tent. Holy crap. Yeah. So they're about 250 feet, very roughly, from the first site under the pine tree. 
and the remnants of the fire. I say 250 feet with a caveat. There's a lot of messiness in this investigation. So some, like even in the investigators' reports, that um, that length is different. They didn't do a very good job. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. So that's with a caveat. Um, some of the hikers that they found in this other spot, it's it's down in a ravine, and when they found them, they were in like a stream because the snow was melting a bit. Some of these hikers were dressed in others' hikers' clothing. Oh, so I was going to say, like, maybe did they take clothes from the other hikers for some reason to be warm or something like that? But, but like, like, why and how? I don't know. Because uh, here, let me yeah. let me explain. Dubonina is wearing a torn jacket around her left leg and foot uh, and wearing uh, Kravonashenko's ruined pants. So where he died versus where she died, it doesn't make any sense. They're very different places. Yeah, they're really different places. Unless she was in his tent and grabbed his pants before he did, but that no, means... No, but she wouldn't have. Right, and they're running in a panic. You wouldn't right. do that. Wouldn't and wouldn't grab like, pants. They didn't grab boots. They certainly wouldn't grab pants. Pants, and of course, like, this means that other man was running around in his undies. So it doesn't... <laughs> it really doesn't make sense because we don't know if... They took clothes off the hikers who succumbed first, or some people gave up clothes in an effort to save others. It's it's really confusing. But were there, like, footsteps away from where those... Okay. No. No. Then when did they do this? Well, we don't... That's yeah. the thing. We don't... We They couldn't... They could find footsteps running out of the tent, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, melting, snow, other stuff. There was some time that passed. Yeah. A lot of time that passed. And they also, like, did a bad job about... Somewhere they're like, yeah, we photographed and measured these footsteps. And I don't think anybody actually did because I couldn't find any information on it. Were you? Yeah, they they were. They did a real crappy job with this. But I think that was on purpose. And we'll talk about that Ooh, later. Oh, conspiracy theories. All right. So to finish up, because we're going to get into the investigations and the true weirdness of this in the next episode. Uh, Dyatlov, Doroshenko. Kravonashenko, Slobodin, and Kolmogorova all died of hypothermia. Okay. Slobodin, he was one of the ones who was trying to get back to the tents. He also had a skull fracture, but investigators didn't feel that this is what caused his death. It was the hypothermia. Later on, you see that this skull fracture would have made him dizzy and could have led to his death if hypothermia didn't get him first. Right. So I don't know if they all got down in like by the trees and then some were like, okay, we're going to try to go get our stuff. I don't know. Like, I don't know if they were completely separated in three different groups. We don't, well, they weren't. We don't, because some of the last to be found were in a different area in the right. ravine. Right. But they were wearing like the other's clothing. Right. And so they're still kind of together like the parties try at least try to remain together no one's being found alone are they or well they're all in small groups that's what, that's what i'm yeah, saying they're in yeah. small groups so it's not like so we don't know if they were in on mass trying to flee together if they got separated in the snow at least it looks like you know three two and four were together right we're and found that, together. And that's what i'm saying here like if there was someone, let's just suppose for a minute that there was a killer amongst them who tried to do something and they all freaked out, right? And that is one of the theories. Right. But if someone tried to do that, why would you hang out around that person unless you had another good reason, right? Yeah, it would. And it doesn't make sense. That person would probably be on their own somewhere else and everyone else is running in a panic. And how are you going to overcome all of those people? Exactly. You're not. Yeah. So, and like also... They're all clearly in a panic. Like, there's not one of them that's acting like, oh, I'm going slower and I didn't get that far. No. Or I stayed in the tent. Because if you're a killer, this, this is this is where my mind's going. If you're if you're like a killer and everyone runs, you'd be like, well, guess what? Free tent for me, I guess. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. They, they, they pretty definitively dif disproved. Well, they definitively disproved that it was a human that did these attacks. That's crazy. Yeah. And I will tell that. We'll talk about that in part two. Um. But to end on a note of weirdness, uh, Dubinina, Volotarov, and Thibault Brunols all had super strange injuries and causes of death. It was not hypothermia. 
What? Yeah. So up to this point, it's all been hypothermia, but super, not for these three. Re- it gets, oh, it deja vu. It gets really weird. <laughs> deja vu? Yeah. I've not been in this place before, and I never want to be nope. in this place. And unfortunately, y'all have to wait till part oh. two to find out what they died from. Oh. So we're going to get it. I'm going to talk about what they died from, and then the investigation around this, and then basically the aftermath in part two. All right. Yeah. Well. Bonans. I guess we have to look forward to next week. Yep. Be excited. It's so hard because I want to tell you so much stuff. I know. <sighs> but stay tuned. And of course, you can always find us pretty much everywhere at this point except for Pandora. One of these days, Pandora. Yeah, one of these days. They take we'll add like us. a really long time. Yeah, but thank you for listening to us on Apple Music. Spotify, Google Play, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, Podbean, and, and places like that. Yeah. Um, if you want to contact us, you're always welcome to. You can follow us at twitter.com slash dead, my dearest. What about facebook.com slash dead, my dearest. Wait for it. We also have instagram.com slash dead, my dearest. We shall have kind of grody pictures this time. With content warnings. Content warnings, yeah. Yeah. And finally, if you really want to reach out to us, give us a little bit of a shout, yell, talkie. You can do that. Talkie. A talkie. <laughs> a nice talkie. Uh, you can do that where? You can send us an email at deadmydearest at gmail.com. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the same. It's almost like we've said this before. I know. Cool. Well, next week. Dyatlov Pass Part 2. Part 2. We'll see you then. Stay spooky, darlings. Bye-bye. drinks oh yeah doing the drinks yeah yeah i'm so thirsty so thirsty what are you so thirsty 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 baby (laughs) god we're so weird when we record this i know